Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alrighty, what's going on, everybody? My name is Josh. Welcome to the Barca Blog on this podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, our old pal, Emil Avanesian. We have a variety of things to talk about. Uh, mainly, I want to hear his thoughts on the exit of Ronald Koeman. And of course, we're going to discuss the Xavi rumors, uh, if we still want to call them rumors at this point. It seems pretty obvious where things are going in terms of uh, his leaving Al Saad and coming home to Barcelona. We're going to talk about whether or not it's a mistake for him to come personally, how the club is going to handle things. We're also going to chat about Barcelona's win in Ukraine over Dynamo Kiev and them controlling their own destiny in the Champions League. Uh, If you are not subscribed to the podcast, please be sure to do so. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all the places you get your podcast. And here is Emil. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome to our interview with Emil Avanesian. Emil, how are we doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to get to all the Chavi and uh, Ronald Koeman fun stuff that you didn't get to uh, discuss last week. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the uh, actual on-field product right now, which is still still weird, but Barcelona actually are in control of their Champions League destiny, which was uh, not where <clears throat> I thought they would be a month ago, but nevertheless, uh, they looked... Fine, I guess you know to to go and yeah. get an away win in Ukraine is impressive in of itself. But uh, I think you know the only notes I had were basically you know three teenagers in the squad again, the youth mm-hmm. continuing to be the kind of the thing that propels them forward. Fati and Dembele looked great. Um, what yep. were your kind of what what were your impressions and thoughts from Barcelona's win? Yeah, I mean, I thought the, <clears throat> I mean, I wasn't super inspired by the first kind of half hour or so, but. Um, they, I thought they finished this, the first half well, and they, I don't know. I mean, just the, the unit that was out there, I don't think is, I mean, it's not a vintage Barca unit that's going to carve up an, an inferior an inferior opponent. At the same time, I mean, they were pretty clearly the, the better team. They played like it. They, um, you know, they were on the attack. They tried to be on the front foot as much as they could. Uh, yeah, Fatih was great, and yeah, I mean the, I mean it was a weird thing watching Dembele because so much of what's it been like four years since he's since he came to Barcelona, and you know it's 
he's been injured for what seems like three and a half of those years. I mean, I know it's not quite that much, but it's not far off. And, you know, it's uh, his contract's about to run out and it, it felt like we were just kind of playing out the string with him. And then the way he played in the second half was almost enough to kind of rehook me because that was effectively the player that Barca thought they were buying when they splashed the Neymar cash out for him. Well, and, and so you, you say that, and then literally this mm. morning, I wrote up a report mm. uh, for mm-hmm. the site that was talking about how Barcelona are actually like really pushing for a contract extension, like something to 2024 yeah. that has a lot of stipulations about how he can become one of the highest players in the squad, you know, if he's healthy and meets these criteria. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if they don't get a contract extension done in like the next, you know, couple weeks, he's probably going to get sold in January. Right, because yeah, it's either sell him in, yeah, it's lock him up, sell him in January, or watch him leave for free. And yeah, I mean, I guess, and I know that sort of works both ways. On the one hand, yeah, just based on what we've seen from him, and I guess this on the kind of on the negative side, where he's kind of always been hurt and just you know isn't able to put together any kind of long stretches of solid play. Yeah. I understand where, um, where the club are incentivized to, I mean, it's not a purely kind of pay for play type contract, but yeah, to, to incentivize it or make it incentive laden. I understand that. And then conversely from Barcelona's side, it's, they can probably do the accounting where, you know, you can be one of the highest paid players, but you have to meet these incentives. So right now, present value, as they have to uh, continue to meet um, these various financial financial restrictions, you know, come in under these uh, financial guidelines, they can probably account for the contract as a as a cheaper deal. And the thing is, if you do have him locked up, um, even if you do decide to move on from him, he's not a fit with Xavi, whatever it is, um, having some of that cost certainty of a long-term contract should preserve more of his resale value than kind of a, a desperate, you know, a desperate fire sale in January. I don't even know what his value would be. Like, w- w- I mean, would right. it be like 15 million to some like, like Newcastle United or something like that. Like, I, I don't know if he's worth selling. Like I would rather lock. I mean, and I think this is, maybe this is conventional wisdom. But maybe it's not. It's like, I don't see the downside in locking him up on like a, a short term two and a half, you know, three year deal or whatever it might be just to see, you know, yeah. e- even if he is like a, a part-time contributor, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you said, the flashes he showed, I don't know. And, and maybe, maybe you only get a flash every five to six months and that's not worth any semblance of a contract. But I guess, like you said, I'm, I'm still kind of lured by it. Oh, I, yeah, totally. And I mean, I guess the thing is if you can, yeah, if you can keep the guaranteed commitment relatively low and basically make the contract and, you know, a, a relatively speaking low cost, high upside play for the club, I'm totally with you because, you know, four years ago you paid whatever it was, like 110 million for this guy. And to sell him, let's say, I mean, let's be optimistic. Let's say you can get like 25 for him. Even so, I mean, that's, I, I understand there's also the, the concept of the, of the sunk cost and you don't necessarily want to contribute new money to something that hasn't worked and, you know, whatever, but 
I mean, to just eat the the $85 million loss over four years with so little to show for it. Yeah. And I mean, he's still, he's still young. And when he's fit on those occasions, when he's fit, he, he can play. I mean, it's not that, I mean, it's not kind of like, it's not a Coutinho situation where he's just been not very good when he's been on the pitch too. When he plays, he's, he's a useful and occasionally spectacular player. The, the problem is that, you know, he spends too much time, not on the pitch and just uh, in street clothes. But yeah. I, yeah, I think he's a worthwhile, he's a worthwhile gamble if they can get him at, you know, at a decent number. Um, all right. Well, let's just talk about the managerial situation. Uh, just simply put, <laughs> in your opinion, was it actually time for Ronald Koeman to go? I mean, kind of, probably. Uh, there was so little there was so little that was inspiring in watching this team and just the whole thing. It felt like, even though he'd been in charge for such a relatively short period of time, I think all of the, all of the negativity that had swirled around the club during his time, accepting that, you know, virtually all of it was not his fault, but I think he just by, by virtue of being the the face in charge when all of this, kind of negativity was swirling around the club. I think that stuck to him a little bit in that sense, because he had to answer uh, whether or not it was his fault. He had to spend so much time publicly acknowledging everything that was wrong and answering for uh, just the the horrific state of the finances or, you know, the on-field product and everything else. Beyond that though, I mean, I didn't, I mean, credit where it's due. He's put young players on the pitch. And I mean, frankly, those, those guys are playing well. Um, you know, you want to talk about, you know, whether it's Gabi or uh, Pedri or, you know, I mean, Ansu was, you know, on the, on the pitch and, you know, really good before Kuman got here, but it doesn't seem like, you know, his development has continued. Nothing happened to stunt his development under, under Kuman. So in that sense, the, the young guys were doing well, but the performances as a whole were just, so kind of flat and just, I guess, uninspiring. There, there was very little sense of, I mean, I can't remember the last time I watched a game and was legitimately kind of invigorated and pumped up to, to watch the game. There have been wins and there have been losses, but the thing is too, there's even been too many losses. Yeah. And and they were so bad against good competition. The, so you're not going to get any worse against Bayern and Benfica and, you know, Real Madrid. So I don't know. I mean, I just, I felt like the situation was stale, even though he had, he wasn't actually here that long. Um, yeah. So, I mean, all in all, it probably was the right decision. Yeah. I, I like a lot of what you said. I mean, the thing that, interests me right is the whole there wasn't a lot that was inspiring and then i look at the two matches since he left and i'm like mm. still not inspiring and i i, I, no, I guess i i guess i somewhat expected like whenever if kuman wasn't liked by the dressing room which i i don't know that to be the case um yeah. usually usually when a coach or a manager in any sport gets fired there's like a bump you know in the next yeah. couple games and there wasn't a bump which just makes me 
kind of think what I continued to think while he was there, which was like, he's not doing anything to help himself, but he's also like, he's not really hurting things. So I, I, I don't know what yeah. you expected a caretaker to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess the question is who, so we can talk about like Ansu Fati is young and awesome and you know, everything. And there's, I guess the, I was going to say, who do you look at on this team as, and it's not fair to, to say a Messi or Neymar type, but also kind of the, the kind of guy who can inject electricity into, into a match or a performance or a, a run of play on his own. I mean, there's, I don't know who the, I understand right now there's not any true world beaters on, on this team. There's, there's a collection of good to very good players who may or may not all kind of fit together, but yeah. So, I mean, I think Kuman wasn't hurting anything in that sense. He wasn't holding back some kind of just world, world-class match winner. Um, at the and same frankly, time, I, I don't think there was yeah. like some sort of tactical decision he could have made that would have like unlocked, you know, Barcelona's potential this year. That's kind of, yeah, that, that's kind of my point. I mean, there's, um, yeah, I mean, I think right now these these types of wins, sort of the the win against the win against Kiev, and you know stuff like that. I think that's what this team has to be for the at least for the immediate term. Um, yeah, because I mean, at no point have I watched a match this season, even when they've been playing relatively well. You don't really watch them and, and figure that oh man, they've got one or two goals and it feels like there's another three or four coming. And I understand that most teams reside in that, in that space, but, um, but you see the shirts, you see, you see Camp Nou, like you just, the, the visual cues are all there. So you see a good run of play and you think, okay, cool. We've got a goal. We've got a lead. So the, the floodgates are going to open. That's not what this team is right now. Yeah. And, and you talk about the, I love the visual cues um, description because you want to talk about a visual cue. It's Chavi on the sideline running a four, three, three and people being like, why do we still only have one goal against uh, Alves or, you know, Espanol? Like that's the, that's what I'm yeah. uh, fearful to see. Um, let, let, let's talk about Chavi for a second. So his return on the doorstep, sure. uh, there's a reportedly a sport reported. There's a meeting happening today that is kind of the, I, vital is, I, I guess, the only word I can think to describe it. it. It's important in the negotiation process because, of course, Barcelona don't want to pay the five million uh, release clause, uh, but they want yeah. to keep the relationship good, of course, um, despite not wanting to do what is needed to be done to get Xavi out of his contract. Um, yeah. Xavi is going to be speaking. Uh, I think the the phrasing was in Barcelona's name, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> what's to stop this from being Andrea Pirlo and Frank Lampard? Is it the low expectations? Or does that even matter at Barcelona? Um, <clears throat> I think, so I think there's three things that potentially conspire to, to make this better. Um, one, and I, I don't want to overemphasize or overvalue the experience that he's gained, you know, in the, in the Qatari league as, as a manager, but at the very least he's, He's had his he's had his hands on the steering wheel for for a couple of years, and he's done this. And at, at the very least, even if the 
the talent of the opposition isn't on par with what it's going to be in the Liga. And the talent of his own players, you know, while very strong for the Qatari League, isn't, you know, on par with what he's going to have at Barcelona. He's learned to manage personalities and egos. And he's he spent, you know, over two years, what is it, two and a half years, I guess, game planning and, you know, literally doing the job. You know, it's at a lower level. And I guess you could say that Lampard did the same thing. I think he was was he in the championship or, or League One or something in, yeah. in England. But so there's that. Uh, secondly, I think there's, I mean, everything that I've read about him and, you know, just the, the few interviews that I've, you know, seen or heard or read and things like that. I mean, the guy is a, just, he's a tactics nut. Like he, I don't know if he's quite sort of Pep Guardiola level, just, you know, lives and breathes and only sees kind of formations and tactics, but, but by all accounts, he's, you know, he's highly, highly educated and very intellectually curious on the tactical aspects of the game. So I don't think, because that was kind of the the big argument against uh, like a Real Madrid when, when Zidane came in, it was, he's not much of a tactician, but he's, he has this gravitas and he's, you know, he's Zidane, like how no one's going to really, the, the players are going to fall in line because he's such an icon and, you know, such a hero. Xavi is both that, but he's also a tactics guy. And I think he's both kind of in the spirit of Guardiola, but literally has spent time with Guardiola and potentially could, I don't know how much he's going to have Guardiola's ear. Like, I don't know if, uh, you know, the Man City manager is going to give him a lot of help on the job, but he, he could probably lean on Pep a little bit as a mentor. And even just as a, as an example of how you come in as a Barca icon with massive expectations and, you know, find some success. And finally, I mean, I do think the, the low expectations and the immense uh, regard that he's held in, I think will go a long way because it's not, I don't know who in their right mind can look at this team and think that Xavi being parachuted in halfway through a season should, I don't know, what, win the league? I mean, that's that's asinine. So if you can just, you want to, like, you want to get through the group, you, you want to get through the group stages of the Champions League and finish in the top four. That, that's what it is this year. Uh, which, by the way, I had kind of forgotten that we were on match day four of the Champions League and they just got to play the worst team in their group two times in a row and won 1-0 yeah. both times. Like, mm-hmm. they could still uh, lose to Benfica and then it's over pretty much. So, um, Yeah, I mean, it's not awesome. but no, it's um, not. Um, at the very least, though, they've, they've got a... They've got a two-point lead over Benfica. So if they can manage a... Oh no, it's not. No. Good. I mean, they have to be, then, then they're still be, done for. <laughs> yeah, because you got to. I mean, look. The the hope is that Bayern's just completely mailing it in. But see, I think Bayern were mailing it in in match day one, and they still look <laughs> so much better. <laughs> I know that. No, that's the problem. Like, yeah, Bayern kind of just going out for some cardio is still going to be really hard to beat for this team. <laughs> um. Okay. So what are you talking about with Xavi being parachuted in <laughs> mid season? I I I I'm still baffled that they didn't just let Kuman 
take the arrows and then bring Chavi in in the offseason. Why right now? Why is this good for Chavi? Um, I don't know if it's necessarily good for Chavi. I mean, I think for the most part, I think it's just kind of neutral for him because I don't think what, uh, unless the team absolutely just nosedives and both in terms of form and, I don't know, form and vibes just kind of both go off a cliff. I think Chavi should be fine. Like I, he at the very least has, has that amount of leeway. And I think more than that, even. but um, I don't know. It was just, I think the Kuman thing, I think it had the potential to get so toxic, you know, because you, you have these, I'm, I'm not even counting the first one nil win over Kiev in the champions league. So you have these two, absolute debacles in the champions league. And now your last two matches are you fall in El Clasico and then you bounce back from that and go and put in a toothless losing performance against Raya Vallecano. And, you know, you're just kind of, you're adrift, you know, I don't know if another, how many months is left, like six months of this. I mean, I think the, there's a chance that the, the the fans and the media would have soured on this team so much and the atmosphere around the, the club would have probably even gotten so much more toxic that I think I would have had a little bit of fear of almost doing some psychological damage to some of these young, potentially really good players. And I think you could also, if you're thinking of how you can spin things, right, to uh, mm. compliment Xavi, right, you could, you know, do the whole, like, he came in an like, impossible-to-win situation midseason, like, you know, mm-hmm. you could think of this season as kind of a throwaway. He's just getting his feet wet, um, all of that stuff. And then you kind of rethink of next year as like the kickoff year for Chavi. And so maybe maybe bringing him in midseason is, is more so like a shield for him. Um, it gives him more coverage, which maybe could pay off in the long run. I think so, too. I mean, I think there's um, obviously sentiment. Because right now we don't know. Right now everything is potential unrealized or kind of just it's endless possibility with, with Chavi at the helm. And so that alone, I think will, is going to give a little bit of a sentiment boost to the team. And I mean, not even necessarily to the team, but I guess just sort of the, the, the infrastructure, like the whole environment around the team. So in that sense, I think it's good. I think also it's kind of like you said, I mean, if it takes him a minute to find his footing or, just to, to get to know the squad and understand how to deploy the players. He's doing so in what really looks like a lost season. So it's, it's not like he's going to dramatically, you know, kind of make things feel worse at the club right now. And finally, I mean, I guess you sort of buy a bit of a lottery ticket too, in that, uh if he does spark some sort of, you know, some sort of run, if he has some, you know, just some sort of Barca whisper and he comes in and the team does go on some sort of a run, it has the potential to, I mean, I don't think they're going to win the league this year. They're, I don't think there's a champions league in this team run in this team this year, but it has the possibility to really kind of uh, amp up the optimism ahead of next season. Well, and, and I, so, I think you mentioned winning the league or winning the Champions League. I think making top four in La Liga and simply getting out of this group stage would be that spark. Yes. 
So what is it right now? They are they are ninth. <laughs> yeah, they're ninth. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they've got. Yeah, I mean they've got they've got a game in hand, you know, against a couple of the teams. Yeah, but like they're effectively what they're six points behind Atletico for for fourth, which is that's tough, man. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, I I I I really don't know. Like you said, there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, I think at the very least you could do a lot of again Barcelona's ability to do positive PR and spin stuff in any way is under doubt over the last couple of years but if <laughs> yeah. like if you're thinking about it i mean how many like you know quotes do you put out there about how you know de jong and pedri are learning from the midfield maestro himself and you know fati's learning what it's like to be a young star at barcelona like you could you could spin all these narratives for the next you know 6 months and then you, you know. Oh, and I think they undoubtedly will. I mean, it's, you know. They would be uh, fools not to. But then again, like I've said, Barcelona's yeah. PR in the last couple of years you know, <laughs> missed a few opportunities probably. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like you, there's going to be so many pictures of uh, like Gabi and Pedri just at training standing next to standing next to Xavi. And yeah. And yeah. Or Xavi standing next to, you know, a brilliant young talent who's wearing the number 10 shirt. Yeah. I mean, they're, I mean, if they're, if they're smart, they, yeah, they can, they can get loads and loads of, uh, they can good, get, good, good faith. Oh, exactly. And just, I mean, they can get loads of mileage out of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, but yeah. So, I mean, I don't, and the thing is like, there has to be something to that. You would think just in the sense that, very few people have had, and I'm going to say kind of in the modern era. So, you know, sort of post 2000 or even just sort of post, you know, the messy era or post Reichardt or whatever. Very few people have had the, the comprehensively positive experience with Barca and as a homegrown talent, like Javi has, you know, I mean, it's he and Iniesta and, you know, what, maybe like Puyol are the, are the people who can kind of, step in and kind of talk about what it's like and what it takes to to break through here not in terms of even the the on on pitch thing it's the because the 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 media here is very kind of bizarre in how they now they treat the team and how, and it, most of that falls on the manager but it, but it can fall on the star players as well and i mean so a guy who's navigated that minefield beautifully. I mean, I guess throughout his entire career is probably a good guide to, to guide these younger players as well. I think you've sold me. I'm excited. <laughs> I I am excited too. I mean, at, at the very least I'm, I'm what well, we knew this was going to happen, right? I mean, it was just, you know, whether it was this year, next year, you know, after the Qatar world cup, like whatever, whenever it was, this was an inevitability. So the and I mean I guess the situation was you can only break glass on this situation once and so they've they've done it now you know and so I'm I am actually fascinated and excited to see how it how it plays out. Um, before we go, I want to hear your PSG thoughts. I don't know, man. It's it's weird. It's so <laughs> I'm, weird. Because look, I. We we talk about these guys and you know it's just it's utterly bizarre that I'm, I'm actually trying to pull up the, the table and everything. So I mean they're you know 
as we talk about this, there's still eight points clear in, in Liga, which yeah. I realize kind of says more about the league than it does about PSG. Yep. But they're just anytime they come up against anything resembling good competition, they're underwhelming. I mean, I know they beat Leipzig. I'm looking, they beat Leipzig 3 2 in the in the Champions League recently. But yeah, I mean they and drew they against drew Marseille. Yesterday. Yeah, they drew yesterday. Um, yeah. And it's just the most uninspiring, like it really is. I mean, it's the the notion that you can have, you know, <laughs> Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, and like it's just sort of flat is astounding to me. And you know, now you have Messi giving interviews and just he's essentially just talking about how he can't wait to go back to Barcelona as like, you know, as an executive when it's all over and stuff like that. So I mean that that can't feel great for for you know PSG. But yeah, it's it's bizarre. I mean I, I just think and I, I know they beat Manchester City, but like I think about um like Chelsea, Liverpool, City, like the teams in England, and I think about how they just like each time I watch those teams, and of course City are coming off that uh, loss over the weekend at Crystal Palace where they were anything mm. but. But usually, all three of those teams, like I feel like when I watch them, they know what they are, they know what they want. Um, mm-hmm. And in City's case, they 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 want uh, they want the ability to score in the box, but they just can't do it because they have no one on their team above five nine. But other than that, yeah. they, they know <laughs> yeah. what they want getting up to that point. And same thing with Liverpool and Chelsea. And when I watch PSG, it's just like. They're just like keeping their fingers crossed that they're gonna free Mbappe, and yeah, and that's how it's been in years past. And it's like, even though they have Hakimi and Messi now, like it feels like nothing's changed all that much. No, I mean the the model seems to simply be, you know, accumulate accumulate good players and then just assume that they're going to get it right because. I mean, they're they change managers on an with you know fairly alarming frequency, and you know the the mandate there is simple. Obviously, it's it's win the championship because Liga is essentially a walk. You know, most years, and so you keep kind of shuffling managers, and each of them, yes, inherits a wildly talented roster, and. But the problem is even then the squad is shuffled from year to year. I mean, it's just the simple fact that you add Messi to a team is a gigantic adjustment for, I mean, for the players who are there. And even if you had a, even if you had a long tenured manager there, just figuring out how to integrate Messi into a front line with Neymar and Mbappe and figure out how to make that work, you know, with the defense in the midfield. I mean, that's, you know, that's like a pretty Herculean feat. And I feel like nothing there is built for stability. It's, um, I mean, it's a brand more than it is kind of, I mean, I know it's a club. I know they're, and you know, they're good. They get the job done in France, but you know, outside the, outside of Ligue 1, like, I feel like they're just, they're a brand more than they are anything. It's, and it's that Neymar brand is going to feel that brand is going to feel very weird when Mbappe leaves. Um, 
Yeah, because he's going to go. Yeah, he's, and... he's 100% gone. Uh, Real Madrid fans are extremely confident. Uh, like, it's it's presumed he's going there. And then, I, I don't know, you're left with Messi and Neymar. And th- the strange thing is, like... When at some point, you know, Messi's going to start creeping up on 40 soon, you know? Like, he's, you know, he's going to be 35 in a minute. <laughs> like, just... Yeah. And I, I, I don't know, like, the offseason additions besides Messi were so good. Like, the Donnarumma and Hakimi mm-hmm. and Ronaldo, like... Those are those are unbelievable players that seems to have fit needs that PSG had, um, yep. and you know Donnarumma has been good uh, as far as I can tell. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't and know. Ronaldo scored twice yesterday, and just you know, just but it is only November, and so yeah, they could still figure things out. But it does seem like there's not much development thus far. Well, it goes so much to to what you said though. It's you know, when you were talking about Liverpool and Chelsea and City, these are teams that, even when they're not playing well, know who and what they are. Whereas, I mean, I don't know. And I admittedly, I don't watch PSG on a on a regular kind of week-in, week-out basis, but I don't know what they are as as a team. Like, how, how do they, how would you describe how they play? It's, I think the plan is to overwhelm you with talent. And like that is the game plan, but I don't know what the, I don't know what the actual X's and O's game plan is. It just seems like they're trying to. I just think of them as like an NBA team, but they're not playing the NBA. Like you can't, you can't just roll out the Brooklyn Nets and think you're going to be great. Like they have to. Yeah. It's it's like if an NFL football team tried something like this, you you forget that they're still, you know, ten other people on the pitch besides Leonardo. Yeah, like you need an offensive line. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like there has to be cohesion there, and there's just no cohesion right now. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the funny things is it's sort of you said an NBA team, yeah. And so there's there's a bunch of like NBA teams from years past, you know, several of them with you know in on my Lakers where uh, collections of talent that should overwhelm are put together and haven't. Is this um, PSG team the Dwight Howard, uh, Steve Nash Lakers? I don't know. I mean, like, I don't, I'm not completely sure that it's not, but uh, the vibe I get a little bit from them too is sort of the, the post dream team one, even post dream team two us Olympic teams sort of where they were still good to very good, but it had just turned into, let's see how many good to great players we can stuff on a roster and surely we'll figure it out with a, you know, with a couple of weeks of practice and just rolling out a bunch of talent. Yeah. And to be fair, they still, again, they did beat Manchester city. Um, yeah. And I'm interested to see how that second, uh, second match goes. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know. Um, Last question before we head out. Who is your yep. favorite team to watch right now? Because right now, mine is the first 25 to 30 minutes of any <laughs> Liverpool match I'm tuning into, and then I'm immediately yeah. turning it off because they're either going to blow a couple goals in the second half like they did this past weekend, or they're just going <laughs> to score a couple more goals. But I know in the first 25 minutes, they're either going to score two or three goals or get like six amazing opportunities, and I'm going to have a blast. I mean, I guess by and large, I would just say Liverpool. And because even the... And, and I do actually... You know, I like them. So it's, you know, when they when they blow a game or something, it's uh, it's not that I'm necessarily rooting for it to happen. But when they do, I mean, it's never it's never not exciting with those guys. You know, like they're uh, they're really a blast to watch. Uh, and I got to say, do, there was nothing more predictable than yesterday after after they go up 2-0. 
I um I turned it off because it was it, it started at four over here in the in the states and so yeah um, it, was, it was it was getting close to dinner time and I pulled out my phone and there was nothing more predictable than the Atletico Madrid red card down two zero after oh. like another loss <laughs> like it was just it was the most expected thing ever. <laughs> it just yeah that <laughs> I I do enjoy that and yeah I mean in that sense I kind of I I do like Atletico I mean I think you and I have talked about uh, my my genuinely endless fascination with Diego Simeone and um, I mean, beyond that, I mean, they're just, they're really good. And if, if Simeone was coaching any other team or, you know, goodness knows there's countless other managers who try to do the Simeone thing and ideally win every game one nil while breaking your opponent's spirit, I, I wouldn't be on board with watching it. But I feel like the the Simeone kind of the the Cholismo Atletico teams are they're almost like a a TV character that I really enjoy watching in the sense of like you you know who they are and what they do and like what their you know sort of what their move is. Um, so I do enjoy them as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, those are probably the big ones. And then within La Liga, I'm trying to think. Uh, I always enjoy uh, Betis. Uh, and I mean, you could probably say even both of the, both of the Sevilla sides, Betis and, and Sevilla. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I would say, I would say them by and large. And then, I mean, there's the, um, there's some of the more, you know, Raya Vallecano is always good for just, I feel like almost whoever's on the team, whichever division they're in or whatever it is, there's always kind of action and activity in their games. Like they're, it's always eventful. So from a pure entertainment perspective too, just if I have nothing better going on, like throwing on a Ryo game against anybody is kind of fun. Yeah. How about you? Who else, uh, who else are you uh, enjoying other than Liverpool? Uh, that's pretty much it right now. Any other team has <laughs> the potential to like, because whenever I turn on a Liverpool match, I know I'm getting something. And yeah. <laughs> with other teams, like I might just turn it on, I might be a dud. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of obviously I'm watching a lot of other football, but the only team I'm actually excited, like mm-hmm. if I if I see on a Saturday morning, because you know I get up early with my kids, if I see on mm-hmm. a Saturday morning at Liverpool or the 7:30 a.m. match, and I know I can have that on while we're you know making breakfast and all that, mm-hmm. there's there's literally nothing like I I'm so excited for that every time when I see it, wh- whether it's like Liverpool I totally or get that. <laughs> crap team number A, like I don't care, mm-hmm. it's just the best. Um, before we head out, what are you working on? What are you thinking about? What have you been writing? Uh, so, you know, as we talked about, uh, I'm still writing about the NFL. I'm actually, as we speak, I'm finishing up a power rankings column. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, I sent you the link. I'll send it to you again. It's at uh, Squawka NFL. And then also uh, with the NBA season starting, I'm back on uh, Forum, Blue, Forum Blue and Gold. So forumblueandgold.com. I'm doing uh, not all, but a good chunk of the uh, game previews and then just other kind of general uh, general articles there. And those are the big ones. And then I'm kind of working, there's a couple of, and uh, oh, as I mentioned, also uh, Sports Collectors Daily. Uh, still writing about, uh, you know, basically like old kind of vintage uh, basketball cards from various eras, but I'm also, the, the perspective that I write about them through is also, uh, I get to scratch my itch for uh, nerding out on basketball history and just jamming stats and uh, historical observations in. So that's, that's always fun. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I got a couple of other projects that I'm uh, working on and hopefully, uh, hopefully going to bear some fruit. But right now, those three things are sort of uh, occupying the most time. That's awesome. All right. Well, Emil, we are always appreciative of your time. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, man. Happy to do it anytime.